Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. As a native Scot, I shouldn't be saying this, but I've got a confession to make, dear listener. When the time calls to reach for a dram of something aged, nine times out of ten, I'm picking up a pot still Irish whiskey over scotch. Blasphemy, I know, but I doubt William Wallace is turning into his grave. The thing is, though, it's basically only neat poor occasions that see me reaching for that bottle. Not because Irish whiskey doesn't sparkle in mixed drinks, but there just aren't that many classics that include the style. We get into that today and enjoy a deep dive on the category with Jack McGarry, owner of the much lauded and loved Irish pub, The Dead Rabbit. Oh, and we get into a specific cocktail too, which you'll have noticed from the episode title, is the Tipperary. Jack likes to describe it as a riff on the bijou, which may still have you scratching your head, depending on your knowledge of fairly obscure pre-prohibition classics. In addition to Irish whiskey, and in place of the gin in that drink, the Tipperary includes sweet vermouth, green chartreuse, (laughs) nice little ring to that, and Angostura bitters. Channeling my inner Jack McCormack here in saying, Goodbye Piccadilly, farewell Leicester Square. It's a long, long way to today's Cocktail College episode, brought to you by the Vine Pair Podcast Network. Caffeinated. Yeah, well, I have. I start my day off with a couple of coffees and then I and stay off the, the caffeine the for the rest of the day. Yeah. Honestly, it's, yeah. a, it's it's the rarely seen. I actually got like drink because I stopped drinking seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't do anything normal. So when I started, when I stopped drinking, I started drinking uh, Diet Coke. And then I would have been in bed going, I can't understand why I can't sleep. That's because I've had like 20 cans of Diet Coke in the day, you know. Were you a smoker? Or you, you, I you was a smoker. That. I did it for a year and. Like I ended up smoking 20, or forty cigarettes a day, and then I stopped. So I just can't do. So now I put it to running and reading and, and working and the good stuff, trying to not do anything that's going to kill me. <laughs> I think that's a good as place to start as any. We'll jump into this. It's the Cocktail College podcast. We're here in the studio, Jack McGarry. Jack, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for joining us, making it trekking up town for you today. Yep, it's very oft, very rare that I get out of uh, the financial district, so I welcome all opportunities. You don't to, make to it into the streets that are numbered. No, very, very, very rare, <laughs> very rare. It's crazy. When I first moved over to the city, um, I couldn't believe that everybody took the like stayed in there. Like they, everybody was talking about staying in their own neighborhoods because mm-hmm. back home you just go you go wherever, just get in the car. But fast forward twelve years, I'm I'm one of those people. Here you are. You don't you know? make it. Yeah. It's unlike the U2 song, where the streets have no name. This is, you, you only you only stick around where the streets have names. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't planned. <laughs> Bono, didn't he do something recently? Fucking that guy. Um, he was drinking in a pub recently or so in Midtown. I remember was he? It. Yeah, picked something. One of my friends was uh, was in the pub. I think it was the year in or something like that in uh, West Village. In the Village. year in? Yeah. And they took a picture and he, he was behind them just drinking a pint. Just Bono. Just weird, like... Completely middle of the day. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, uh, the edge. Let's we don't need to get into you two here. Um, I'll tell you what we are going to get into though. We've come a long way 
from Tipperary, yeah. Exactly, yeah, it's yeah. a Tipperary cocktail. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that that drink has come a long way. You know, in terms of when it started out and and how it's developed. So, it's a it's a great. Uh, it's one of the few, but one of the the better Irish whiskey, classic cocktails. So that's what I want to get into in a little yeah, bit because yeah. that baffles me. Same with Scotch. We'll yeah. get into that though. But first of all, for those who haven't heard of it, what's in the Tipperary? So it is in what I would call the Beijou family. So the Beijou is a uh, is a gin based drink, which is equal parts gin, London dry gin, uh, Italian vermouth, which is sweet vermouth, um, and green chartreuse or, or chartreuse. There's different variants. You'll get uh, Beijous or Tipperaries with the with the green and and yellow variants. Where the tipper the Tipperary is essentially you just swap out the the gin for for Irish whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not a lover of the equal parts the same way I'm not a lover of the equal parts uh, Bijou, where we prefer a more Manhattan-type formula for yeah. our temporary because the green chartreuse, as you know, is a very dominating ingredient. It's pungent so, yeah, it's, in a good way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what's in it. You start, you start down as you would start in Manhattan, and uh, I prefer mine with, uh, with uh, strained up with a, with a twist of lemon or orange. Nice. You know? And... Let's get into the history first before we, we before we delve into what the hell is going on with there not being enough <laughs> Irish classic Irish whiskey classic cocktails. Like I don't get it. But let's get into the history. What, yeah. what, what do we know about this drink? So what I know is based off Dave Wondridge. So Dave, I'm sure you've heard that name plenty of times here. He's mm-hmm. the uh, the the Professor X, if you will, of, of the cocktail industry. <laughs> um, so I actually asked him because the first time I seen it was in 1916 in Hugo Enselin's book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was along that lines of equal parts, uh, Bijou-esque type, mm-hmm. type uh, temporary. So that's where I first seen it. But there was, there's early re- earlier references predating that um, with some of those recipes having creme de month and, and stuff like that. Um which is it's more like emerald or or, or that type of beige or that type of temporary, but I I think that type of, is disgusting. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's like stinger esque almost. It's just not it's not very good. But that's where I first came across it, and obviously when we first opened the Dead Rabbit, our whole emphasis was on drinks from the seventeenth, eighteenth, and nineteenth centuries, and our Manhattan's. All, when we started out, all of our, our classics were much more prevalent on the vermouth because that's essentially how it started out. Vermouth was the was it was the base, and then the modifier was the spirit that just basically added a bit more oomph. Um, obviously, over the decades, and you have the James Bond movement and all of this type of stuff, and it was perceived as like a masculine thing. The less the the lower amount of vermouth was in there, and and to me that was a detriment to the to the to the drink. So when we first came across Tipperary. I, I applied that same metric of let's double the vermouth, let's have the, the vermouth as a star and then invert that with the with the base spirit, which for the Tipperary was obviously Irish whiskey. Um, so we made ours with equal parts that ended up landing equal parts uh, sweet vermouth. And then uh, the Irish whiskey we used was a single pot still Irish whiskey um, because that was the style that made Irish whiskey famous. It outsold, it outsold scotch. Seven to one back uh, in the day, yeah, right? Back in the day, and obviously, Scotch now is completely dominated, um, and and continues to do so. But obviously, it's much tighter now than it, we've got forty. I think of last week we have forty five distilleries, whereas when I did my first tour, we had three. Um, do you know, so it's come, it's come a long way. Irish whiskey is 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 a category that I hold dear to my heart. Yeah. I enjoy drinking it a lot. 
Um, am I right in thinking that Ensign calls out Bushmills for this specifically in the, the recipe? The recipe? Yeah. Ensign? Maybe. I'm I might be sure. making that up, I'm but I thought sure. that I had read that. But yeah. that, that, that might be wrong. Obviously. I mean, Bushmills, 10-year-old, with the, it's a single malt. It, mm -hmm. it, it makes it beautiful temporary because it's, mm -hmm. it's green apple, very floral, very mineral. Um, it's but, one of the great yeah. bargains out there if you're buying Irish whiskey, Bushmills 10. Bushmills is a phenomenal. It, mm -hmm. Well, obviously, you're from the land of, of beautiful single malts <laughs> where uh, the, our, our, Ireland doesn't get the same sort of recognition mm -hmm. for its single malts, and deservedly so to an extent, but the single malts from Bushmill have always been world class. And that's probably like there's a lot of Scottish influence and in, in obviously the north of the north of Ireland. So the malt out of there is fantastic. And as you said, the price point, you're not going to get much better it's than that. brilliant. You know? yeah. I think they just brought back the 12 as well. Am yep. I making that no, up? No, you did. Yeah, that's back. It's and, back that's, yeah. and also the rare cast stuff they're doing these days too. It's fantastic, yeah. So Bushmills is actually our... Uh, our base bird and our house Irish coffee. Mm -hmm. um, so it makes, it, I mean, the, that's the original mm -hmm. Bushmills. It's not the, the, the single malt, but it's all of their all of their marks are excellent, you know. Sleeper hit there at the Dead Rabbit. Not that many people know about the old. No, it's the probably old. keep it pretty quiet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the most famous Irish coffee in the world. Probably the most famous, definitely the most famous pub in America. Yeah, is, is, is that a slight to call the Dead Rabbit a pub? By the way, no. no I mean, no, no, we no. fully embrace it. That's what we're we're in the process now of growing the company, and our whole mission statement, our purpose is to spread our love of the Irish pub and contemporary Irish culture. And we want to we want to open up more Dead Rabbits because this country, particularly, um, albeit not exclusively, but the the Irish pub is maligned and pigeonholed as this like dive bar, shen shenanigans, shillelaghs. Yeah, Irish yeah, yeah. flag in the front and somebody saying top of the morning but you know it's absolutely no authenticity whatsoever people pouring clovers into Guinness pints uh, yeah, of Guinness don't complete, do that complete, uh, hopefully you, I don't, don't know if you can curse on this but it's complete yeah. bullshit you know? um, <laughs> so my goal is to shine a light on contemporary Irish culture through our musicians our makers and, and the products and, and everything so that's really what we've uh, shifted towards in the past in the past year so mm -hmm. yeah we fully embrace uh, embrace the Irish pub, albeit we uh, our whole focus is we recognise our traditional roots, but we want to focus on what's happening today and tomorrow mm -hmm. in Ireland as opposed to you walk in and you see a picture of a poet that's been dead for 60 years, you know, yeah. probably a great poet, but absolutely no relevance in today, you know. I'll say this, uh, uh, and this is nothing to do with cocktails, but this is one thing I've long believed that the, the Irish grasp of vocabulary by the way, of all the English-speaking nations that I know in the world, <laughs> I feel like I, anyone I know from Ireland, I think they have a 10 times better vocabulary than anyone I've met from England, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't yeah. know what that is, but no, it's, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a poetic Yeah, I mean, it's right. It's, country. You listen to somebody like, uh, you would see Colin Farrell on, um, you'd watch him and his movies and you'd think that he's a, a, a numpty, you know, or an idiot, but um, when you when you uh, watch him give an interview or stuff, mm. you know the way he talks is yeah, it's fantastic and it's it's ironic, but yeah, it, like it, that's it's mm. been that way always it's for, just... for as long as I can like as long as I can remember, and obviously way back before before my time, you know. Mm -hmm. I'll say this as well, exciting one here today, just on a personal level, because I believe the Dead Rabbit is the only bar with a representative such as yourself here to appear on this show where I've been to with all my family. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. My family were, were here earlier this year and uh, 
We did that stupid thing you do when, when people are visiting New York and we walked from Williamsburg to the financial district, as you do, you know, like completely normal. Oh, did as you do the bridge and then walk Did the bridge yeah, yeah. and, you know, I which mean, is great. Good, it's great good, fun, yeah. but yeah. it's like... On any other Saturday, I'm not walking ten miles. To New no, York. definitely, and that's what I. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big dander. But it's um, good. It was good fun, and and they've they've they we all we ended up at the Dead Rabbit. Yeah. Had a pint, had a burger. It was fantastic. Um, I want to get back to Enslin though. By the way, here. yeah, yeah. What do we know about this guy? You know anything else about this guy? I was doing a little bit of research on this guy. Yeah, Some I mean, interesting his, stuff. his book was was hugely instrumental um, mm-hmm. because before that, you would have had. Craddock would have been yeah, before. No, Craddock was after him. He was in the thirties. Craddock um, apparently plagiarized the guy. He did, yeah. He did a hundred percent. And uh, Harry McAlone. Mm-hmm. Um, so he definitely, he definitely did. Particularly the 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 Harry McAlone from the like his Harry's Bar in, in Paris, and he I think he worked in uh, Ciro's in, in London. So he. He had an excellent book, and obviously they were all plagiarizing each other. Yeah. Um, but Craddock was obviously a, a well-renowned plagiarizer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, so Anselin, he his book was the first, I believe, the first time in aviation was documented. There's a cut. There's a bunch of firsts in that book. So I remember reading that book way back when, um, when we, and and it was obviously hugely instrumental. That book sort of was the the last book. The 1910s is where we cut it off for Dead Rabbit with our first our first cocktail book when we launched and. Oh, 2013. Um, we're ten. We're ten years old uh, next year. But that book. I mean, it's a fantastic, a fantastic book with, and the recipes in there are actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I'm saying the equal parts beat. Yeah, but, but a lot of know, them don't hold up from that. No, era. I mean Craddock's particularly. There's a lot of. There's some good drinks in there, but there's a lot of absolute nonsense in that, in that mm-hmm. book. You know, I feel like there was stuff just stuffed in there to hit. W- this is the biggest book we've ever produced. Yeah. You know, we're we're eighty percent of the drinks are, are rubbish. You know. So 1916, as yep. you mentioned, first first reference of the aviation. Some people say create the aviation. Who yeah. knows? Don't know whether yeah. that may be a crime. I'm not sure. It depends <laughs> how you feel about creme de violette. Um, I'm not a big lover of it. No, no, me neither. So, yeah. <laughs> Why did we bring it back, creme de violette? Yeah, we should have yeah. consigned it to history. Yeah. Um, first time the Tipperary's written down. Yep. Um, comes out four years after the song. It's a long way to yeah. Tipperary. Yeah. Do we think that had something to do with it? Because it's 1916, so what? This is on the cusp of World War One. When does World War First World War begins? Around that time. It's, it's 1914. Time. And 1914 and finishes, finishes in 18. 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So bang in the middle of World yeah. War One. The it's a long way to Tipperary. If folks aren't familiar with the song, a look it up. B, but it's a song that became synonymous with soldiers, British soldiers, Irish soldiers, World War One. Yeah. Longing for home. Yeah. Um, do you think that plays a role in that being popular at the time plays a role in the naming of this trick? Because Ensign's not Irish. No. He's not British. Yeah. I um, think it's got, yeah. it's got to. Um, I mean, you look at a lot of those, um, you look at a lot of the names back then, they would have taken like Bridget Bordeaux and there was a lot of like Mary Pickford. They were just plucked from recognizing, mm-hmm. uh, what, what would you call pop culture back, back then or, or, you know, God knows what it'll, what the names will be when there's people looking back a hundred years from now. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if that'll be much be, be be a good thing or a bad thing. But I definitely think it would have had something part of it. You know, because it would have been. where it's like halfway between what Cork and I don't know. Yeah, I looked it up the, on the map earlier. I'm like, it's, it's in the heartland. Do you know, it's, what in, the, it's, in, yeah, it's yeah. in it's in that like middle middle spot. About, so that I believe it's in Connacht because mm-hmm. you've got the four. You've Ulster, Leinster, Munster, and, and Connacht. So I believe it's in 
Connacht. Sorry for the Irish people that are listening if I've got that wrong, but I'm obviously from uh, Ulster, so that's where my uh, where my knowledge is. But it's it's down south. It's um, not. Yeah, it yeah. is. And again, like I don't know anything particularly notable about it. So it leads me to they're believe great, they're that they're a great hurling county. That's what I know. So oh, yeah? Tipperary and Cork are a big uh, are a big big Cork uh, Cork Galway and um, Tipperary. You would have. Else in Kilkenny, they're all mm. big. What about big rivals. Where's that? Offaly would be further up, I believe. Um, and they're not. They're not. I think Offaly's more football. I think they do curling. I yeah. don't know. No, hurling. Hurling. Every every county does hurling non football, but some of them specialize one over the other. Like mm-hmm. Antrim, we're better hurlers than we're footballers. Dublin are better footballer. Gaelic football. I'm talking about. They're better footballers than they are hurlers. It's just. You know, but the, the, some of these counties down south, there's not much more to do. They're born mm. and they have a hurling stick in their hands, and, <laughs> and that's what they do 24 seven. You know, and they riff on cocktails. Yeah, or they they name them after them yeah. anyway. Yeah. Last word on Enslin commits suicide. Nineteen twenty nine. Per guy dies by suicide Jeez. in his fifties. Yeah. Unrequited love. Yeah. I appreciate a hopeless romantic. Yeah. I feel bad for the guy. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine uh, the the. Recovery type stuff back then was that was that great, you know? Not a lot yeah. of outreach for mental yeah. health, yeah, um, <laughs> which is tough at the time, you know. Uh, definitely, yeah, tough one. But Enslin, also, I, I guess, final thing as well, like, doesn't even work anywhere particularly remarkable, yeah, in New York where yeah. he's based, yeah. I saw somewhere somewhere online which sounds pretty harsh. It's like worked in a string of second tier bars. I'm like, per dude, came up with a good book though. Um, well, it's the same. You look at the person that created the uh, Cosmopolitan. She was a stripper, mm-hmm. or is a stripper. I don't I don't know if you can. I, I, but I'm like that's that's her background, you know. So she didn't come and listen. And sometimes if say did create the temporary or the or the aviation, it's those people who probably are more simplistic that create these. Legacy cocktails, you know, yeah. where you go in the cocktail bars now and it's 15 ingredients and you're like, you know, can we not do this more simple? No, you know? exactly. And this is this is a simple one. All right, so we've we, we gone through the ingredients before, but I just want to bring this up in terms of Irish whiskey cocktails. Yeah. You have the Irish coffee. Yeah. We're covering the Tipperary today. Beyond that, yeah, why am not- I... There's not a lot more. Um, you have the Cameron's kick. Which Cameron's is, kick is the one yeah. that I just spent a long pause trying to cover, trying to figure yeah. out what that was there. And then you have the Wild Irish Rose, which is like a fizz type cocktail. Um, you have the em- Emerald, um, which again has went through many iterations. And beyond that, you're starting to talk, mm-hmm. like you're starting to get into much more vaguer territory. But I'll, when you look at a lot of the books, Primarily in the 19th century, it just they just stated whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was what, talking, but why do we think that is then? Why, what, like, again, like, because you mentioned pot still as well. Yes, before, yeah, which is Ireland signature style. Yes, a hundred percent, yeah, definitely. Why are we not seeing more with that? I mean, I think it's a, a fantastic sipping whiskey. Yeah, but complex mouthfeel. Yeah, incredible profile. Yeah. Has notes that no other whiskies have. Oh, it's it's stunning, yeah. It's, it's my favorite style of Irish whiskey, and I'm glad to see it coming back. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you when you look at those books from that era. I'm like, why is it not specify specify that? But you'll see it in a lot of a lot of uh, like you see some specificity in terms of rye, where they say like Mongolina wine yeah. or rye or, or stuff like that. But 
the likes of Wandridge, he would, he would, uh, and obviously this is speculative or, or at least strategically speculative, but he would, he would say if it says whiskey, there's a good chance that that was most likely Irish back back in the 19th century because yeah. a lot of the records indicate that it was outselling Scotch. Some of the figures he were saying were seven to one. Um, so I think that that's plausible. You yeah. know, it was in probably a lot of punches and and stuff like that. But when the cocktail industry, like when Enslin wrote that book, that was really when when the Irish whiskey industry was starting to, to taper off because the Scotch were making big moves, particularly with branding. Um, yeah. So the, a lot of the the Irish whiskey distillers were selling their 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 product to publicans and merchants and. And bonders and stuff like that, and they were uh, modifying it or, or, or doing or doing whatever. But the Scotch were m- amazing branders right from the get go. Johnny Walker, yeah, big time. I mean, um, and they obviously, it was an Irish guy who created the continuous still in his coffee. Yeah, and uh, he didn't have much success in Ireland, whereas the Scotch realized right away we can blend our malts, our potent Highland malts, and. And make it more accessible, and they they were much more much more savvy than the Irish distillers, and he, and and we uh, there's a story of of uh, Joe Kennedy coming to Ireland to try and bring some of the stuff over during prohibition, and the Irish were like, no, we're we're good law-abiding citizens, and he went to Scotland and he got what he <laughs> needed to get, you know. So it, it was really after prohibition, and and obviously the internal turmoil and. In Ireland, yeah. towards the like, you look at the 1930s and 40s. It was really on its knees. Um, and the Irish coffee, coincidentally, if I don't think if we had have had the Irish coffee, we might have had we might have landed on a place where there would, would have been no Irish whiskey distilleries because that was really the Trojan horse that started the initial recovery. And obviously, yeah. when 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 things kicked off in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. But yeah, it's it's, it's crazy, crazy though that you it mentioned there before. What three distilleries within living memory? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's Down when, to I, three when we opened the bar. Um, we went to a bar in Brooklyn to research a concept called the Standing Bar because the bar, the Dead Rabbit one initially opened, was all historically focused, and it was a bar called Prime Eats that had this. I think it's closed now mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, but we went over and we checked it out, and we quickly realized that in downtown, in the financial district, people finishing work and women in high heels and stuff like they don't want to be standing; they want to s- sit down. But when we go in, when I go into any bar, I, I'm looking at the lights, the soap, the the quality of the 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 toilet paper. I'm looking at every single thing that they're doing, and and we looked at their back bar. They had all these amazing amazing scotch from all the different uh, the different regions, and they had all these Odevies and Amari and and stuff like this. But uh, when it came to Irish whiskey, they didn't have one. And we actually asked the bartender, "Do you have any Irish whiskey?" Because they figured there'd be a dusty bottle of Jameson in the corner, you know, or or, or whatever. And he said no, and. He said, but you're a cocktail bar. Like this cocktail, he had a classic cocktail menu. I was like, well, how do you make classic Irish whiskey cocktails like the Irish coffee, mm-hmm. which is our biggest classic cocktail? But he's like, oh, we just use bourbon. And uh, that's really when we were like, yeah, it was crazy. And that's when the, the sort of the patriotic part came out. And we were mm-hmm. like, when we open this bar, we're going to have the biggest Irish whiskey selection. And when we opened and had that, people like you were coming in and asking us about Irish whiskey because they thought we were authorities, but we hadn't a clue. Anything about Irish whiskey, and it was it was really then when when the likes of you were coming in and asking us questions. That's when that's when I was like, right, I actually need to to research this and know what I'm talking about. And I went on a tour in 2013, 14, mm-hmm. and it was three distilleries. Do you know, it was four days. I did the it's tour. Wild. I met the master distillers and master blenders, all the mm-hmm. key people. And then I did it there a couple of years ago, and I did 34. I was going to say, well, because you, 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 you wrote the book, 
Um, which the title escapes me. I apologize. Uh, Barley to Blarney. Yeah. And that that was what twenty. You must have done the tour what in twenty seventeen. Book comes yeah. out in twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. And it's already obsolete because there's 45 distilleries yeah. now, so we'll probably have to do a, an updated version. Well, I mean, you, you know, for the longest time, the Irish whiskey category was the Jameson category, yeah, it really but was, it's, yeah. it's, it's really not the case anymore. And I mean, well, let's let's jump into that because we, we've spoken about the rest of the cocktail, right? We've yeah. spoken about the ingredients, but let's jump in. Let's break it down ingredient by ingredient and yeah. starting with Irish whiskey. Um, for this cocktail, what do you think is the best fit, whether it's pot still, single malt, blend like what what do you think works best for this drink yeah so we actually released a, another book there a couple of months ago called patty drinks and that's our that's us owning the sort of derogatory term and saying because when we came over here irish whiskey was synonymous with the pickleback yeah and uh again i couldn't believe it's america <laughs> that came over and i'm like you're drinking it with what and uh and and that's when we really sat out to showcase how to use cocktails or how do you how do you use irish whiskey in cocktails because as you alluded to, we have single pot still is unique to us, but we pretty much do everything else that the Scotch whiskey industry does in that we make single grain, we make single malt, and then uh, single pot still being a unique one. And then we have our blends, which mm -hmm. is basically a, a mixture of the of at least two of the previous three categories. But they all play very, very differently when it comes to making making drinks. Um, so the likes of shaking drinks work really well with the single grain because it's quite sweet and, and, and neutral. Um, the blends would, would work well in shaking drinks as well, but some of the blends, particularly the blends that have a high pot still or a hot, uh, high single malt percentage, um, work pretty well in stirred drinks as well. The likes of your Manhattans, Tipperary's, Old Fashions, Vuc whatever, Vucrace, Azarac mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, so examples of that would be like Jameson Black Barrel, would be Bushmills Black Bush. They're, they're mm -hmm. predominantly... Uh, made up of single pot still and single malt re uh, respectively. But in terms of the Tipperary, you need a very aggressive, assertive base spirit to stand up against not only the sweet vermouth, the sweet vermouth obviously is very aromatic, but particularly with the Tipperary, the green chartreuse, because yeah. it's a very dominating ingredient. Um, and I always remember Audrey Saunders saying, I think it was 2008 in Belfast when she came over to do a connoisseur's club with us in, at the Merchant Hotel, you got to think of flavours as a boxing ring. Mm -hmm. And a boxing fight should go, like should theoretically go all 12 rounds. Obviously, in the UFC days today, now you, it's like a one, one punch and it's game, it's game over. <laughs> um, so I, always, I took that to heart in terms of, it, or even looking at it through, there should be a start, middle and an end, mm -hmm. you know, and you need a strong assertive spirit to stand up to those. To those other ingredients. So for me, it's single pot still because if you said the the aggressiveness, assertiveness, the viscosity, the 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 spice really comes through in the Tipperary. But a single malt would work work really well too. The likes of we just talked a, a bit about uh, Bushmills ten year old. Mm -hmm. It works excellently um, in terms of single or single pot still. I'm a big lover of the three swallows and Pars John's Lane. Um, single pot stills, red breast would work really well. It will bring a sherry component Brilliant. to it as well. Um, and then the different exp the different finishes of the single malts, mm -hmm. there's a whole uh, plethora of now. But uh, for me, it's Bushmills 10-year-old and Napogue 12-year-old is another, another excellent good one. one. Yeah, so. That red breast, by the way, is an aside here. 21, I want to say it is. Yeah. That might be my Desert Island bottle of whiskey. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, I've yet to taste. The only one I didn't really like was the the 
man of leave. It's it's a it's the entire entire it's a hundred percent sherry finish. Where red breast profile is basically a third of the, yeah. the maturation profile of sherry, and that's plenty for me. You know, because sherry yeah. sherry's like chartreuse. It just like dominates it. Yeah. Um, so the the one that one I didn't like, but everything else they've done everything. is it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, they make know? they make phenomenal whiskey yeah. and. Um, no, I'm a big fan of that. I, I, I do have a bottle at home. It's, it's got like less than a finger left on it. And I'm just like <laughs> clinging on to it. <laughs> drop by drop. <laughs> Prescription. Well, we've got plenty on the bar, so we'll keep you topped up. I'll be down there. You know what? Actually, I was I was uh, I was uh, having a red breast dinner not too long ago earlier this year. And it was uh, it was down there in, in your neighborhood. And I did end up at the the dead rabbit for too long burn it, burn it. It's, it was like a vortex people go for one drink and they come out five or six hours later you know exactly that's, <laughs> that's what i usually say to people i'm going out for one so uh, i'll be around until they kick me out um it is a, it is a great category though so, so, so you reckon therefore a blend but like a, a an assertive blend for this yeah, yeah so if you were going for. to do a blend i would do the high the high pot still or the high single malt blend. So the likes of your Jemison or Jemison Black Barrel, your Bush Molds, uh, Black Bush, Tailing uh, Small Batch is a pretty high malt blend. It's, I think it's a 50-50 mm-hmm. uh, split. So those types of marks are, are really good because if you put a high grain blend mm-hmm. in there, the likes of your Jemison Original, Tullamore, Bush Molds Original, mm-hmm. um, they're going to just completely sit in the background and the drink will be too sweet um, because obviously you're, you're using quite a substantial amount of green chartreuse. So you want to cut that with a high ABV, high spice, high uh, flora, floral type of uh, mixture so or, or product. So that was what that's what I would use on the blends. And then, as I said, for me on the single malts, I would be using either Bush 10 or, or Napogue 12. And then for the single pastels, I would probably only go with one. It's be Parse John's Lane. I think mm-hmm. that's because to me that's the most indicative of the 19th century style single pot still because it's super viscous, super spice. Like it, it's just an excellent uh, product at a great at a great price point. And as we've said, you know, there's probably not going to be that many Irish whiskey cocktails on this podcast. So <laughs> it would be remiss of us not to also mention your, your co-author on the on the uh, on the book there. Tim Hurley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's got a... Lost Irish yeah, whiskey. Yeah, so it's going pretty well. His is a high... His is great. I, I would say uh, it's a versatile application in the cocktail industry. So it works really well in shaking drinks, and it can it can hold its own in stirred drinks. But again, I would say to Tim, to his face, like in a temporary, it doesn't... It just gets, it yeah, gets yeah, lost, yeah. you know? No, no, 100%. Yeah. Horses for courses, as yeah. we like to say. But it's, um, he's doing a great job, you know. He's, he is. It's, it's fantastic. This, this whiskey, I believe, is also it's a study in cask finishing, is it not? I believe yeah. it's like five different five finishes, different yeah. from from five different continents. Yes. Yeah, so he he works with a distillery. So the guy who actually became the third distillery in Ireland, uh, that created the third distillery, Cooley, uh, John yeah. Teeling, he sold his uh, distillery to Beam Suntory, mm-hmm. and then the family opened up two distilleries so the sons used their cut of whatever money they got from the deal I think the deal was 75 million um, and they opened the Teeling distillery in Dublin so they were the first distillery to, to distill in Dublin from the 1970s after John Powers and Sons and John Jemison and Sons closed because they amalgamated everything in Middleton distillery they went out to Middleton um, right. so that was fin- that's a fantastic story that they did that whereas mm-hmm. the John Teeling reopened or he, ch- he changed the Harp Brewery 
Which I'm was sure. what? F- yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's so right. it's in Dundalk, I believe, and he turned that into a distillery. Mm-hmm. Sort of the same modus operandi that he did with the Cooley, because Cooley was an uh, ethanol producer, and he turned it into a distillery, whereas he got a brewery and turned it into a distillery. Yep. Which is also the case for uh, our friends over there at Waterford, too. Yes, they took over the Guinness. Guinness Guinness, brewery that maybe never got up and running, but they're making now... Their their stuff's exceptional. That's a study in terroir. Yeah, it really is. Their their stuff they're doing is... They're definitely worth a podcast. Probably not a cocktail uh, college one, but the stuff they're doing is... I think that's John really the future. Yeah, they're doing an amazing job. Guy, that guy likes to dial in. Yeah, he does. Yeah, on place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so uh, John Taylor opened up the Great Northern Distillery. Um, that's right, and that's where Tim Tim works with those guys because they they're pretty much they create beautiful dist- distillates and and mature their stuff in a whole host of different uh, finishes. And and Tim has went in and basically. Mm-hmm picked what he's liked and and I hate to be very reductive here but for our American listeners somewhat similar to an MGP scenario whereby I mean we talk about the number of distilleries in the country now but the number of brands is double or triple that it's ridiculous thanks to distilleries such as that yeah I mean John John Taylor and that was his strategy he opened up uh, Cooley to Mm -hmm. sell with juice, like distill it to Sainsbury's, Marks and Spencer's, Tesco, mm-hmm. a bar down the street. Like everybody could go and 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 that's a good thing because it democratizes the the space. Mm-hmm. But it's a not a great thing in terms of consumer education because there's it, it just dilutes the messaging. Yeah, but it, I think there's more pros and pros and cons with it. But he's basically done the exact same thing mm-hmm. with Great Northern Distillery. Um, so. That the, the the there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different whiskey mm-hmm. labels now. So when we opened, we had, or ju- up until recently, we had three hundred labels of whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, I think we're the first bar ever that has brought on a, a director of Irish whiskey. Mm-hmm. And his whole, like I sat down with him and I said, I don't want to be the biggest anymore. I want to have a very tight stuff that we're very excited about. Yeah, because it, again, we can't train it, we can't scale it, we can't give a great experience for it. Um, so we'll we'll not be we'll be probably in and around the sixty to eighty territory of stuff Jeez. that we're really really excited about, mm-hmm. um, and that will change. You know, we'll mm-hmm. keep it that tight, and some stuff will go and stuff will will come in. You know, because when you're making like lost, Tim's doing a great job, but theoretically you're taking the same juice and repackaging exactly, it. And, exactly. Exactly. You know. um, we'll tie this one up on the on the John Teeling front. A, a fr- friend of mine, former colleague, um, also I believe you're. Paths have crossed in the past. Shane Mulvaney. Oh, Shane, yes, yeah, yeah. Shane used to work with he us. Used to work yeah, at the yeah, yeah, You know did, what, yeah. actually? Uh, this is a complete detour here. March, I forget the date. It was the last, it was a weeknight. Might have been a Wednesday, might have been a Thursday. Last bar I went to before the pandemic. On the way. Dead Rabbit. Did you get COVID? I did not. Yeah, because the last night of the the bar was closed. My wife was in, and uh, I had a very ambivalent attitude towards the pandemic. <laughs> at, at that point, I thought this is all. You guys madness. were you guys were about to launch a new menu. Yeah, the day I think we the day that the, we closed. That, yeah, yeah, that day yeah. because the, I was there. Shane was serving me. So you're probably one of the only people that tasted that menu. A hundred percent. Because yeah, that's a good one to note. By the way, Shane said to me though. I interviewed him for a story once. He said, John Tealing, he said, keep an eye on this guy if you don't know him already. He said, yeah. guy's just up there playing massive games 
of Irish whiskey chess. <laughs> and I enjoyed that. Yeah, so yeah. if you're not familiar with John Teeling, I mean, many people will be familiar with the Teeling name because it's out there, it's on shelves. But keep an eye on what he's doing. And yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, he's burning the sons. The sons are doing a great job. Mm-hmm. I think they're, the, the stuff that they're doing with the Teeling Distillery in mm-hmm. Dublin is excellent. But uh, funny story with John. He, he's a, I, I stopped drinking seven years ago and he's a, I, I remember he came over to the bar and he came in and he just started drinking Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you don't, you don't drink whiskey? Like, you're a whiskey guy? And he goes, Jack, I used to sell bras, like women's lingerie, and I don't wear that either. You know? So <laughs> I, don't have to, I don't have to drink my own whiskey, you know? I just thought that way. He's a, he's a proper character, you yeah. know? So I hope he, he's kicking on now, so I hope, he, he's, hope he's here for many years to come, but he's, mm-hmm. he's burning. He's, mm-hmm. And he's the passion... Like he met me that one time, and every every couple of weeks you'll get an email from him, all these details and figures and stuff, all the stuff that he's in about Irish whiskey. He's he's, he's really done an amazing job. Phenomenal. All right, Irish whiskey. I think we've done that justice. Yes, <laughs> I think we have. You know, like I said, there might not be that many opportunities, so um, I relish this one. Sweet vermouth, next yes. component of the drink. Yeah, Italian vermouth, as you're calling it. Yeah, so back then, when you looked at the books from the 1800s, the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, obviously vermouth came in at the back end of the 19th century, and you would have seen, uh, you would have, the first sort of cocktails that were, obviously cocktail as a family is, uh, right now it's used as, as a universal, like a cocktail is anything that has two ingredients essentially, but back in that time, a cocktail was very specific, the mixed drink industry was made up of all these different families and um, the big one back then would have been punch, mm-hmm. and then when Americans got fed up of or, or wanted to be seen to have n- less time, and they didn't want to say by drinking a punch bowl that they had a couple of hours of uncommitted time, the punch got shortened into sours and fizzes and fixes and 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 toddies and stuff like that. But the the cocktail was one of those creations, and um, the cocktail was was defined, I believe, properly. There's obviously references of it before, but the first time was in 1806. As water, sugar, bitters, and and booze, mm-hmm. um, and one of the the cocktails that came out of that would have been the vermouth cocktail. So the vermouth cocktail was essentially vermouth was your base spirit. You might have had some sugar or or some uh, modifier. So curacao, maraschino, chartreuse would have maybe have been another one, and bitters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people started adding base spirit, base spirits to it. So whiskey, gin. And then obviously it went into the Martinez, the Martini, the Manhattan, and and the Tipperary. You know, so there's a whole uh, lineage there. Um, so vermouth, but vermouth back then, uh, the name obviously comes from uh, vermouth, which is wormwood, and mm-hmm. it would have been heavily bitter. That that component has been dialed back. So when we first opened the bar, we we remacerated wormwood in our vermouth to really? give it that yeah to give it that same bitterness, and then added the curacao, the maraschino, whatever the modifier was from that recipe, and then you would have had half the amount. So say you would have had two ounces of vermouth, you would have had a one ounce of, of whiskey or gin or, or, or whatever it called for. Um, and then every one of those drinks we laced with or, or, or sprayed absinthe, because absinthe was used back then as salt and pepper, essentially, for cocktails. Wow. Um, so yeah, vermouth is a big... It's a big category, but as I said, back at the or detour there, but basically there was two typologies of vermouth. You would have had Italian vermouth, which is from the Rosso vermouth. So Turin is where the, the area that heavily uh, heavily produces that. And um, 
you would have had French vermouth. So Italian vermouth was sweet vermouth, what we would know as sweet vermouth. And then French vermouth was, was what we now know as, as dry vermouth. Mm-hmm. And obviously, both both in Italy and France now, they make both sweet and dry vermouth. So it, that's where it all became very cloudy. Right. But when I say Italian vermouth, I'm talking to, like, that's what I mean by that. So, so And historically, you'll see that in books as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So when it says Italian vermouth, that means sweet, sweet, sweet vermouth. vermouth, yeah. Where and, are you French, your- and French vermouth means dry vermouth. Dry. Yeah. Where are you getting your wormwood from? You going down to Cal Eustians? Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's where we got it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's where we got. It. That's where everybody <laughs> gets everything. <laughs> it's funny. I, when I sat down here, we have a, a head of prep who does. We, he's a, a lab on the fifth floor, and I just seen a on my Amex card. It popped up two hundred bucks, and uh, where that's where he is right now. So, he's right yeah, around the yeah, corner. We're yeah. close. So that's where the whole cocktail industry. That's where they all that's shop. Where they all yeah. are on a on a Wednesday afternoon. Or <laughs> Geeking out. They don't have what is it dipped? Uh, I'm asking producer Keith here. Dipped incense? I don't know. We we went on a bit of an incense deep dive yesterday. You don't do. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, if you're having dipped incense, it's cheap. Go on the rabbit hole. Go down the rabbit hole for yourselves, listener. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there we go. But so sweet vermouth. Heavy wormwood. If you're not infusing it yourself, yeah. What are you looking for here? Is is something like this has come up before in shows? Carpano Antica. I'm not a big lover of Carpano or Tica, and I'm not te- a big lover neither. of Punta, Punta Mez in certain drinks. Yeah. So because they're both very aggressive in different ways. Yeah. For for sweet vermouth, I much prefer. Uh, what are we using? Like a Dolan Rouge is mm-hmm. really because it's it's restrained. Um, the Congi Torino is pretty is pretty good, um, so a more balanced, delicate mm-hmm. one. Because to me, and not cocktail particularly, you want the vermouth sort of binds everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the bridge, you know. It's the bridge connecting the, the chartreuse with the the whiskey. Or as he put Carparno, I'm not. I just don't like antique. It's it's never really landed with me. Um, it tastes like very savory, very umami driven. Um, but Punta Mez definitely has applications. Uh, and and otherwise, certain yeah, drinks, yeah. yeah, like a Negroni, a Punta Mez Negroni works really well, um, or a Boulevard, like it works really well in certain in certain drinks to give it a to give it an edge. But for the Tipperary, I prefer much more restrained mm-hmm. sweet vermouths, you know. So a Dolan, Cookie. a Dolan, Dolan would be my preference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Dolan Rouge. I like cookies as well. Yeah. I don't like the it. Dolan dry, the Dolan dry to me tastes, and that's a th- problem with some of the dry vermouths. A lot of them taste like plastic bags because they overuse some botanicals. So you, you want to be careful with uh, mm-hmm. with the driver mouse. But it, listen, the martini, the martini Rossi and the martini dry are pretty good. Solid. You, know, you can yeah. find them. Yeah, they're they're they'll do the job. You know. Yeah. They're not the they're not the standard bearer of each category, but they do a good job. They do, but they don't taste they don't taste bad either, yeah. or like don't stand out. Yeah. Like uh, I had a martini recently. I'm not going to name the vermouth, but I actually had to send the first one back because yeah. I was like, wait. You know, I, I like to drink a martini dry yeah. to specify that when I yeah. ordered it. And I didn't want to be a dick, but I was like, look, there's something wrong with this. Yeah. No, well, and then they you. said good they made you. a second one. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's the vermouth that you're using. Yeah. What vermouth are you using? They told me. I'm like, oh, okay, never buying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the problem because you're seeing, uh, I don't know what vermouth it was, but um, <laughs> a lot of the new vermouths are problematic, mm-hmm. you know, because you'll see ones made in America or ones made in places that have no heritage of that. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, when I was a young, much younger. Well, I'm not a bartender any anymore. But when I was first starting out, I would have made Coca-Cola syrup, like cola syrup. Yeah. And I remember a luminary in um, in London, a guy called Henry Bassent, who who's passed away there five to ten or ten years ago. And he said, uh, "Jack, like, just use Coca-Cola." 
Like they've been doing it for hundreds of years. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember him saying that. I'm like, that actually makes total total sense, you know. So the I, people who've been making this stuff for a hundred years generally exactly, know what they're doing. You know, you know? What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Two years behind the bar. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Recreate Coca-Cola. No, it's it's you know comes up a fair amount. It's just yeah. knowing limitations yeah. and also, you know, yeah. there's there's a time and a place yeah. when it makes sense. Um Green Chartreuse is next. Yes. There is no substitute for this. It's it's oh, it's green chartreuse. It's yeah. green chartreuse. Green, green chartreuse. I'm a bit, I prefer the green over the the yellow. So the you have the two variants there with the yellow more being more what I would say like saffron cumin driven, and yeah. it's obviously forty percent I believe. Um, so it doesn't have as much of a bite. It's still very pungent, but it's more restrained than the green, where the green is more eucalyptus, more savory green her- herbaceousness. Um, and it's obviously 55%. So yep. the the original Tipperary, is, as we alluded to, was equal parts. And that, to me, is just, it's the same with the Bijou, which is essentially the same as the Tipperary, albeit with gin instead of Irish whiskey. But it's just entirely unbalanced and it's too sweet. Yeah. Um, so, again, that might have be, been representative of that time because drinks in the, the 1910s, 20s, and 30s, which coincides with the prohibition, but they got drinks got very sweet. Um, whereas now, thankfully, our palates are drier mm. and a bit more uh, sophisticated. So, well, it's a luxury back then, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. you know, obviously, sugar's around, but it's it's, it's a luxury. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something. Whereas these days, I mean, you talk about Coca Cola. It's like we're trying to avoid sweetness. If yeah. anything, yeah. you know, yeah, it's weird. Well, it's funny when I first started as a bartender. I remember reading one of the cocktail books at the time, and the somebody uh, wax lyrical about uh, green chartreuse and uh, tonic. Mm-hmm. as a highball uh, it was that wee cocktail you know what you would associate now with a handlebar moustache and tattoos and yeah. bartending <laughs> and a honky tonk in Williamsburg or something <laughs> yeah. um, I was that guy back then and uh, I went in the bars in Belfast and asked for green chartreuse and tonic and you can imagine like you're from Glasgow so you can imagine the uh, you can imagine the response for like who's a Went sweet dickhead well. you know yeah so. Reminds me of. Uh, we were but, speaking by the of- way, the green chartreuse and tonic is disgusting, so I definitely don't <laughs> recommend anybody drinking it. Oh, we spoke about Bono earlier. Yeah. The ear in. <laughs> I was in the ear in not that long ago. And, oh, uh, the ear's a great bar. I like to. So, so the same night that I was at the Dead Rabbit as well, final night before COVID, I was, the ear in was on the, uh, the stop on the, the bar crawl. But I was in there more recently and. Um, I like to do I like to do a pilsner and a and a aquavius my boiler maker. Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. Yeah, it's I like a good that, one. Yeah. It's yeah. a very good one. I picked yeah. that one up from Long Island Bar. I'll give yeah. them credit for yeah. that. That's and, a great um, bar. They do a good job too. They do. Yeah, yeah. Went to Erin uh, with many members of the Vine Pair staff, and I yeah. said, oh, you know, I'm going to do a pilsner. I'll have an aquavian. And yeah. Everyone turns around and says, "Not going to have an aquavian here." I'm like, "This is a classic bar. They'll definitely have aquavian." Anyway, I said, you know, <laughs> it just comes over. <laughs> what will you have? I said, I'll have a Pilsner, whatever you have Pilsner-wise. I said, do you have Aquavi? And she said, what's that? <laughs> and I said, you know, it's like gin, but it's caraway instead <laughs> Lost on her completely. Yeah. If anything, that's her failing. She's working in the bar industry. She didn't, you know. Anyway, if anyone from the urine is listening, almost certainly not, guys, I got some good Aquavit recommendations. Just take one behind the bar. I'll drink it. Yeah. yeah. They should have Aquavit. They know. should. But to, 20, to your point, to your chartreuse and tonic point there, 
looked like a total wanker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I definitely wouldn't advocate going into the air in and ordering a, <laughs> an aquavita. <laughs> no, someone should have told me. Um, don't think they have it down in my local Maggie Mays either. I've, in been, uh, I've been in the air plenty of times. I think getting a beer and when it's busy, there's... You're lucky enough, do you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I think I, I, I think I actually resorted to a shot of Irish whiskey with it as well. Might oh, have been Jameson, you know. Bad, yeah. yeah, you know. There we go. I have Angostura down here as another ingredient. Yes, we haven't yeah. talked about yeah. that. Is that? Yeah, so definitely better. Again, so better. What I said are about uh, absinthe being the salt and pepper. Obviously, bitters. Or I would advocate using bitters and 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 pretty much all, all drinks um, because they they have a, an amazing binding. Uh, property in, in cocktails so the uh so angostura works really well mm-hmm. and there i've i've seen some recipes with um orange bitters mm-hmm. that works it just depends on what orange bitters because some orange bitters tend to be quite soapy and you're already got you've got a lot of herbs in the the vermouth and the and the and the chartreuse but definitely definitely angostura i i personally would have a dice or two of absinthe yeah just because we're and our recipe we we only have i believe a quarter or to half an ounce of the chartreuse and then it's one and a half, one and a half. So one and a half vermouth, one and a half of the of the mm-hmm. single pot still. So I would uh, dial the, the dial up the chartreuse note. I would add a couple of dashes of absinthe and a couple of dashes of, of Angostura just mm-hmm. to dry it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I would do. So the next time you come into the bar, you'll you'll have to try so it'll our, be, our our Yeah, yeah, I'll be down there. I'll, I'll, I'll down. give it with your uh, Pilsner and, and uh, <laughs> shot of Aquavit. Well, what's your Aquavit selection look like? <laughs> It's pretty good. We have five different aquavates, believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. So pre- pretty sophisticated for a pub. Um, we have the uh, rug, rug brand, so it's like a bread aquavate. We have mm-hmm. the Linny, the house Linny aquavate. Linny's good, yeah. And then yeah. the guys upstairs have a, a bunch of different aquavates for different directions, which always bothers me. I'm like, why do we have five mm-hmm. aquavates? I mean, two's got to be got to be enough, do you know? <laughs> I'm with those guys. Yeah. I'm like, I'll take them. Five. <laughs> you can also order, I do I do believe, speak from personal experience. I'd like to do this on Thanksgiving for no reason. Uh, a baby Guinness did that after the uh, after the red breast dinner. Yeah, well, so we, I, we I like serve it, baby Guinness. Baby that, Guinness. Uh, it, bo- it bothers me no end, but uh, we do serve it. Um, Why does that bother you? Tell tell the, just, tell the folks what a baby Guinness is in case so anyone's it's unfamiliar. Kahlua, it's Kahlua or Timaria, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so a coffee a coffee or a sweet liqueur, and then it's floated with uh, a cream liqueur. Um, so, but it's just a shite drink, you know. It's like, it looks good. Shite. I mean, yeah, so does a pint of Guinness. You know? <laughs> no, I have, a, I have a Guinness and I have a baby Guinness, you know. Um, uh, no, yeah. the one that we don't serve. So we serve that one because the co- we have a, a nice coffee liqueur, uh, Mr. Black coffee liqueur. And then we, the cream liqueur we're using at the moment because we're trying to move away from uh, Bailey's because it's just, uh, Bailey's has a, as a place, but it's there's much better yeah for there's much better cream liqueurs using mm-hmm. quality Irish diary and 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 quality Irish whiskey. So the one we're we're behind or two we're behind are Cool Swan and mm-hmm. Five Farms. They're both excellent cream liqueurs. Um, so we we do it. The ones that we don't do during St Patrick's Day is an Irish Car Bomb. Um, we just yeah. don't we not we just don't do it. Anybody asks for it, we don't do it. It's bad it's, taste. Yeah, it's extremely bad taste. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was. But I was glad when everybody started getting offended a couple of years ago. I'm like, well, good because this offends me. So yeah, if we're not doing it anymore, just yeah. If anyone's listening, just yeah, yeah don't. don't do it. Just don't. Don't do it. You won't get in dead rabbit anyway. No. Yeah. <laughs> you will. You grudge- might get it in the ear. You you will grudgingly get a. Uh, you will get it in the ear probably. Yeah. You might grudgingly get a baby Guinness too. But anyway, yeah. uh, avoid it apparently. 
go for the Aqua V selection. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to repeat <laughs> yourself here, though, because uh, you did talk through the specs there, but I'm going to ask you to go through it now yeah. for us. As if you're making the drink here today, talk us through the preparation with the specs. Yeah, so generally before I start making a drink, you've obviously got all your utensils and, and you know the ingredients because we've talked about it, but you'd need for this drink a mixing glass, a stirring spoon and a, and a strainer, ice and your, your, your glassware. So obviously your glassware... Chill it, um, put it in the put it in the freezer. One thing I always say about if it's, if there's consumers listening, is beware of what's in your freezer um, because the freezers tend to take on the flavor of anything that's in the freezer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been to many uh, a, a house or home where people want to show me their cocktail uh, prowess and their ice. They they take yep. the, the block of ice out and th- there's a bag of Brussels sprouts beside <laughs> the, you know, so it's like a Brussels sprout infused cocktail whatever they're making and that's not a no, as I'm no, sure anybody no, here will listen will with us I'm not a big fan of Brussels sprouts but uh, at the best of times but it's hey, not it's good been in a, a good couple of years for Brussels sprouts I will it say has, this yeah, the, the renaissance has, is yeah. real well the Brussels sprouts over here are very different to what we had back <laughs> home Do you know I remember tasting Brussels sprouts over here and with the bacon and like sweet there was yeah, like yeah. honey and stuff honey like, you know, they nuke them as well yeah, that's not just, that's not what it was when I was growing up no, it was boiled, no, no. boiled in water to death boiled grey yeah disgustingness buy some Arm & Hammer folks Arm me hammer you know for the for the freezer the baking soda yeah stick it in there you know you get those boxes you can get it is this is an aside again as well but i believe someone told me army hammer is an heir to that fortune i don't know yeah he has not a good couple of years He's not had a good yeah. couple of years. So no. you probably need that fortune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> You'll not be doing too much else. Apparently, Brussels sprouts and Army Hammer can't be doing well at the same time. <laughs> anyway, we digress. Yeah, so keep your freezer clean. Keep um, the freezer so, clean. But anyway, you keep would the ice in a box. Keep it clean. Um, yeah, or keep it sealed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would have your freezer. Make sure your, your, your glass is uh, completely frozen or, or as cold as possible. And then when it comes to building a drink, I would always advocate, particularly for at-home cocktail makers, starting with the cheapest ingredients first. So, because a lot of the times you see people making or putting everything in, and then when it comes to the Angostura and completely messing that up, and then you have to throw everything out, and it's expensive. Yeah. Um, so start with your bitters. So one to two, for me, I do one to two dashes of Angostura, same again of, of absinthe. Perno absinthe is a, is a fine absinthe. There's obviously be- there's better ones out there, but it's it's pretty easy to get. And then uh, I would do, depending on your sweetness level, for me personally, I like quarter ounce of the green chartreuse, and then one and a half of the sweet vermouth, one and a half of the single pot still Irish whiskey or your Irish whiskey of choice. And then uh, you would stir, so fill the mixing glass right to the top. It's another mistake I see a lot of at-home bartenders make. They just put enough ice to meet the uh, to meet the liquid level. But when that happens, the, the the lower amount, the less amount of ice you use, and more water you're getting, and the less uh, uh, you're not going to get the same temperature because with with stirring a drink, you want to get it bitingly cold, like minus seven. Uh, Celsius. Like, don't ask me for the Fahrenheit because I still haven't made that adjustment Mm-mm. yet. Um, and you want to bring in about a half an ounce to three quarters of an ounce of water per drink. So if you're not st- stacking the ice right to the top, and if the ice isn't uh, dry ice, so what, what I mean by dry, it's it's right out of the freezer as opposed to you've left it in the bucket for half an hour and it's 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 starting to sweat. So you want good quality ice. You want it to be dry. Fill it right to the top and stir it until and taste it as you go through. So get a straw and taste it to make sure. 
because with a stirred drink you want the temperature to be cold but you want the viscosity a, a good stirred drink should be viscous it should be silky um, and I'm sure you've seen when you're out that very rare it's very it's probably one of the tougher skills for bartenders they always mess up the stirring there's, there's a handful of bartenders that I've that have served me over the years like Phil Ward being one of them mm-hmm. I remember the first but he was actually the first bartender that ever served me in in New York when I came over and he actually made a temporary yeah um that's crazy crazy I, I, Weird, I was there. drinking yeah. with Phil last night <laughs> were you yeah no way um so he was behind the bar in it was that one in Williamsburg the cocktail bar in Williamsburg it's off the side can't remember what you call it he, he was what he was death and co Maya well somewhere yes. else before that but it was one where it was back then. It was a lot of the bartender, like they were doing these star appearances. Uh, not Maison Premier. No, it was another one. So Maison Premier just opened after this one. Right. Um, but anyway, whatever it was called, I went in and it was just opened. Mm-hmm. And he was behind the bar on his phone. Um, terrible hospitality. Phil, it, he the didn't, worst. He didn't know who we were at that point. <laughs> Not that it would, even if he did, I'm sure the experience wouldn't have been any different. Yeah. Um, but I remember we sat down and. He made us a bunch of drinks, and they were all. F- and, and and I was like, "Is this the level?" Because uh, I I was we were coming over to open up a great cocktail bar, and um, I th- I I, th- I thought that would have been relatively straightforward. <laughs> and then this was the first bartender that served us, and I was like, "Jesus <laughs> Christ!" Because the cocktails were unbelievable, and he made a drink called the Flipperary. Mm-hmm. The Flipperary. Which wasn't, it wasn't really a flip. He just it was a, it was his adapt like his recipe is essentially the same recipe that we we used we use in the bar. Um, but he made it, and the, the 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 silkiness was there. The temperature was unbelievable, and uh, that was like that's the way stirred drinks need to be. But mm-hmm. it's only those top 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 tier bartenders have that skill, and it's the same. You'll see that skill with like the dice, mm-hmm. the way they dice drinks, yeah. the way they use salt and pepper. Like when I say salt and pepper, I mean bitters and and uh, the consistency of their of their measurements and stuff. But yeah, so I digress. But you would uh, you would always start out with a. The cheapest ingredients, build it, make sure you're stirring it perfectly to get that that perfect drink and then strain it. Now, again, when you strain it, that's another mistake you see. You'll always see a lot of bartenders and there's spackles of ice on the top. Make sure that that doesn't happen because that affects the integrity of the experience. So make sure it's strained. So you would, we use a julep strainer. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have it, you make sure that the gate's completely closed. And if it's not closed or you're using bad ice, I would I would advocate using a fine strainer to make sure that you've got all of the ice shards out, and then you would do your twist. So I I prefer a lemon twist mm-hmm. because I think it brightens it, the whole drink up, and I don't ever put the twist in the drink because I I don't like towards the end through like os, osmosis or whatever you would your drink would just taste more and more like lemon where you yeah. just want that little accent on mm-hmm. the top and. And that's just because my, my whole philosophy with cocktails is the first sip should be exactly the same mm. as the last sip. So a big part of that's garnish, a big part of that's ice, a big, you know, there's, there's a lot of factors in there. But yeah, that's how I would make a, a temporary. Mm-hmm. What glassware are you going for here? A Nick and Nora. Nick and Good Nora. quality Nick like and Nora. Yeah. 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 Not, a, nice. not a big V-shaped. Although no. there is some lovely V-shaped cocktail glasses <laughs> coming out these days. But, uh, there are, yeah. yeah. But a Nick and Nora. I, I prefer a Nick and Nora because it's easier to handle mm-hmm. or uh, a V-shaped Martini glasses, even though they're smaller now and more along the lines of the sophisticated drinking culture, they're very unforgiving if you tilt it yeah. even slightly wrong. Where in Nick and Nor, you have a bit more give. You do. You know, yeah. Keeps cocktails colder for longer, apparently, yeah. as well. Yeah. So they say. Yeah. I haven't done the experiments. Yeah. <laughs> it lot, the, the drink hasn't lasted yeah, long it enough. It doesn't last long enough. <laughs> they're not big enough for me. <laughs> um, all right, then. 
any final thoughts on the Tipperary before we move on to the next section of the show? No, go to Dead Rabbit and try it. Go to Dead tell, Rabbit tell and me, try it. Tell me what you think. Hey, speaking of which, what are you doing on November 29th? Oh, yeah, so... <laughs> we're, uh, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Yeah, so we did it. We restructured the the bar recently. So my uh, longtime collaborator, Sean, he has left um, to go and do his own project in Charleston. Um, and obviously, we've, my whole focus now is growing dead rabbit and moving away from all the crazy illustrative merchandise type stuff and focusing on what's happening back home and and, and lifting all the, the t- lift trying to lift the tide of all the wonderful stuff that's going on in ireland through throughout all of our makers so one of the fun things that we thought would be cool would be to do an irish christmas pop-up mm-hmm. and obviously you're seeing uh there's a it's prolifer- the proliferation of christmas yeah. type theme bars is 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 pretty expansive, which has been kickstarted really with with Greg Bohm's yeah. uh, miracle, mm-hmm. um, which is great. But at, er, with everything that we're trying to do in Dead Rabbit Night, we're trying to make sure it's strategically cohesive and integrated. So all of the decorations we're getting from craft people in in, in Ireland. Um, nice. And it's called uh, Jingle Jangle, by jingle the way. Jingle Jangle. So it's an actual term from uh, a song that was popularized by the Pogues, the 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 frames, like the frame. Uh, you're talking about Bono, Bono and Glenn Hansard of the Frames mm-hmm. would sing on uh, Grafton Street every mm-hmm. Christmas. I just thought it was know. a Bob Dylan jingle yeah. jangle morning. What? No, it's not. Well, <laughs> no, 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 yeah, it's not. But uh, yeah, so they would sing the old triangle, which is a very famous Irish song. And there's, right. a, there's a there's a sentence in it that says jingle jangle. You know, and uh, I was trying to think of a name that harkens back to Ireland, but makes sense to American consumers. And jingle jangle is playful um, because the whole thing is also the dead rabbit has been synonymous over the years as being very serious. Um, and I want to bring a bit of levity and fun. Yes, we're serious, and yes, we want to do all these really cool things, And mm-hmm. but we also want to have a bit of fun and, and, and lean into, like, Irish time, uh, Christmas in, in Ireland is un, unreal. Do you know, mm-hmm. it's 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 the same. It, and I, to be fair, New York does it great as well, but uh, it's something that we, re- like, the Dead Rabbit is a winter bar, and we really want to own that. Um, yeah, so we launch, we close on the 28th of November, do all the decorations, flip the menu. We've done 10 really cool uh, Christmas-inspired uh, cocktails, heavily utilizing Irish spirits and Irish flavors. And uh, we open on the 29th, so you'll have 10 drinks of some food dishes, a lot of decorations. That's running through to the 2nd? That's run, running right through into the, the first week of January. Yeah. yeah. Oh, to the first week of January? Yeah, the first week of January. I think it's the 3rd of January we go to the 2nd or 3rd. Oh, nice, January. so right the way through. Right the way through. And then we actually have a uh, an emerging Irish uh, artist called Ram McMullen coming over, mm-hmm. and he's going to busk in front of the bar for 30 minutes while we hand out Irish coffees to everybody. Uh, maybe we'll nice. have somebody on the fire escape throwing snow. You know, we'll really go in. And, uh, you can check him out on Spotify, by the way. He's, yeah. up, he's up there. He's, yeah, he's a big guy. He's brilliant. Yeah, he's yeah. very good. He's uh, The big one now everybody knows is Dermot Kennedy. Um, but I think he's he's in the next one right, right behind him. So he's somebody we're very excited about. And we're actually going to be doing a whole lot more of those. So for our 10th anniversary, we've got a whole bunch of five Irish artists coming over. And we're going to be looking to do an Irish artist coming over once a month. So it's exciting, but yeah. So he'll be singing for half an hour outside, and then we'll go inside, and and it'll just be a whole, it'll be a whole uh, a whole thing. Nice. Um, so it'll be exciting. So there'll be some Christmas songs in the playlists. It'll not be as, because Miracle, I think it's every song is a Christmas song. We'll, we're not going to go that far. Pretty full yeah. on. Yeah. So it'll be. I think the we've got a music director who's based in Ireland too. All of her playlists are are emerging Irish artists. 
so you're not going to go in and hear like the Dubliners or the Dropkick no. Murphys or any of that type of stuff. Um, yeah, but the the formula that he's using is one Christmas song every six songs. Nice. So I think that's that's that's, that's decent. That's uh, digestible yeah. for, for me, you know, <laughs> and po- probably for the staff as well. They'd not be blowing their brains out every oh time they God, listen to yeah. Mariah Carey or something like that. I tell you what, I know what I'm doing for December and and the end of November. It'll be good fun, you know. So that's it. I don't think anybody will get offended by it. So no, <laughs> and you'll still if you go to Dead Rabbit for a pint of Guinness and. And Scotch eggs or whatever, they're all still there, you know. So you can still get all that. That's your Aquavie's good. Yeah, Yeah. it'll be there. Yep, chilled with the Pilsner. (laughs) Looking forward to it. (laughs) All right, let's do this. Quick hit questions to finish the show. Says here on the sheet of paper. That's what we like to say. (laughs) Not that quick. Question number one, though. What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Irish whiskey, obviously. as I said, we have 300 labels on the back bar at the moment, but we're looking to shrink that down to about 60, 60 to 80. Mm-hmm. Um, but even even at that 60 to 80, it's still by far more than anything else. Yeah. Um, so Irish whiskey, Irish spirits, we're, we're adding more to now, obviously, with the the plethora of Irish gin, vodka. We're also going to be doing a bit more with Potching, which is, mm-hmm. a, is a spirit native to, to Ireland. Um, but obviously, the big thing would be would be Irish mm-hmm. would be Irish whiskey. We have a good Scotch selection. Yeah. Um. Obviously, our beverage director he's from Scotland, so he's uh, he's tr- he's, he's trying advocating to, for yeah, that one every day. Going, there's like a bit more Scotch on the back bar, you know. But it'll always be Irish whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Would have been weird if he came on and said mezcal. Yeah. But you know, happens. Yeah. We have a couple. That's the thing. We used to have a, a big selection of everything, but. With the with the restructure, we've really distilled everything down to four to five things. What we call our facts. So, food. Obviously, you've been to the bar, so food's a big thing that we do, and we yeah. do it really well for a pub. Uh, authenticity. So that's our authenticity of experience and, and hospitality. Cocktails are trifecta, which is Irish coffee, Guinness, and Irish whiskey. And then speed. We like to do everything fast because a lot of these cocktail bars, and that's why I'm delighted you call us a pub because. I don't want to be known as a cocktail bar. Yeah. When you go to a lot of cocktail bars, it's stuffy, pretentious, and you wait 20 minutes for a for a yeah. drink. I'm like, I want everything fast. Um, so I'm when impatient. you go to dead when you go to dead rabbit, like your temporary, um, or, or those types of drinks, we we pre dilute them and put them in the freezer, and they're served in seconds. And yeah. you know, some customers are like, oh my god, I can't, bl-, or I want to see the the theater of the bartender. I'm like, that customer is one compared to 99 people who just want to drink want to drink and they want a beautiful drink consistently right away yeah. so i'm always going to land on the 99 as opposed to the to the one the if one. you want that beautiful thing you can go to attaboy or or somewhere mm-hmm. else you know if but you i want to yeah if you can get in yeah. <laughs> um so yeah yeah there's not a slight in attaboy by the way there no it's but it's extremely hard to get in <laughs> same with dead rabbit yeah. you always have space at dead yeah. rabbit but it's it, it's busy every yeah. time i come yeah. down you guys are you guys are doing good work um question number two for you which ingredient or tool is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal the most undervalued i think the most undervalued and and it goes back to that stirring thing is your mixing glass and a, and a spoon mm-hmm. um and you're like Shaking drinks are pretty pretty consistent across the board. The one thing that drives me nuts with shaking drinks is when bartenders shake a drink and then they leave it for like a yeah. minute before they strain it. So it's essentially dish water by the time it gets out. Because it's like when you're shaking a drink or you, you want, as soon as you've added ice to something, that's like putting a steak on a, on a grill. Yeah. Do you know, temperature and, and time is everything. Um, so 
that that would be the most undervalued thing to me. It's like understanding how important ice and temperature and time is for shaking and stirred, but particularly stirred drinks. Yeah. Um, because there's a there's a buffer of the buffer for shaking drinks is a bit more elongated mm-hmm. compared to a stir drink. If you over stir, stir or stir a drink for five seconds, it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, where if you over shake a drink for five seconds and you strain it right away, it's still going to be a good drink. It's just it's going to just going to lose a, a bit. Where a stir drink is is going to lose a lot. So I'd say you make sure you've got a good uh, stirring vessel and you've got a spoon that you're comfortable. Uh, stirring with, you know, Cocktail Kingdom do a whole bunch of really good Yari glasses, and and the stainless steel beakers that they do are pretty are pretty good too, because they they get the te- the temperature much quicker. Yeah. Um, albeit that starts to go problematic towards the, there's not enough water in the drink then, which is as big a problem. <laughs> um, <do you laughs> yeah. Know, so, but uh, yeah, definitely, I'd say your mixing glass and your and your spoon. Nice. Question number three here. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Listen to the building um, from Jim Meehan. So I think he, I don't know what way he meant it, and he didn't obviously mean like put your ear against the, the bricks and mortar and <laughs> like wait for it to talk to you or whatever. Um, but it was, a, it was a big piece of advice for when we opened the Dead Rabbit and uh, I, all I focused on was this. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't really pay attention to the totality of the experience, you know, and... And, and that's the reason why I wouldn't call myself a, a bartender now because to me this is just one part the drinks. one small part of a very very big like the, the whole experience like how did you get treated on the way in yeah. was there a lot of friction at the door did the doorman was he an architect of hospitality or was he a, was he was he prohibitive um, or he, he or she or when you get in where the windows clean was the sidewalk clear of cigarette butts where were the lights at the right level were all the lights on do you know there's a million and one things that make that experience uh one so listen to the building basically encompasses that you know anytime i walk into a bar i'm yes did the bartender or did the person look at me are they dressed befitting of the place is the site is everything working do you know i've been to the likes of it, not to call out Attaboy or anything like that, mm-hmm. but these great cocktail bars, and you go in and you run your hand underneath the table, and there's chewing gum. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, because I'm a big believer in the way you do one thing is the way everything is done. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm obviously obsessive about that across every single aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that was the best piece of advice that I that I got because I think bartenders, and particularly in our industry, they're very they hyper focus on this. To mm-hmm. the detriment of the entirety of the experience. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I'm glad I got that, that got that advice. Yeah, nice wise words there from from Jimmy Hen, as we <laughs> like to call him here on the show, friend of the show. <laughs> no, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. He's good, isn't he? Um, all right, penultimate question. Question number four: If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? Kelly Sellers in Belfast. Okay, so it's a pub. Uh, it's an it's a iconic pub in Belfast. So you've a couple. Obviously, Belfast, Ireland is coming down with iconic pubs. Um, but to me, the pub is a third place. It's and 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 in Ireland, pubs were essentially community centres. They were mm-hmm. where you went to get christened or uh, did your wake or you got married or you broke up with somebody. Whatever there was, an, like everything was done in the pub, and mm-hmm. and that's even more. In the south, pubs are the grocery shops. Pubs are DIY stores. Pubs are there's a pub that's an undertaker. So the undertakers are the pubs right there. Do you know it's it's crazy. Um, so the pub that I always has always been a part of my life growing up in Belfast was Kelly Sellers, and mm-hmm. 
it's uh it would be not did not to get political but the only it, there was not that only part that part of Belfast was the only part the Catholics in the north in the in north of Ireland in, in, in Belfast it's the only part of the city centre they felt safe in because yeah. you had Kelly Sellers there which is my favourite pub obviously and then around the corner you had another bar called Madden's which is like a living room but it's it, there's when there's a session on there on a Sunday and Monday night and the whole bar just turns into a session and there are stones throw away from each other but that would be the bar that would be the bar mm-hmm. I would I would go to if it was the last bar and then I would go around to Madden's right after because it's just across the street so <laughs> and even though it's cheating but yeah. at the right beside each other yeah, so, that. yeah. Speaking of iconic bars in in, uh, in in Belfast as well, the Merchant, you used to work there at the yes. hotel. Yeah. Remind me, you, you had some like 20, 30-year-old rum for the original Mai Tai. This came up. Yes, so we had uh, a bottle of um, Ren Nephew 17-year-old. That's so the they, one. They had found a... They had found a barrel of of this of this rum that was... That was the rum that was used in the Mai Tai. Yeah. Um, and they... Bottled it. I think they got twelve bottles out of the barrel because obviously mm-hmm. the angel sure by the time they got to the barrel was the, the most of the barrel had had evaporated. Um, so they bottled these twelve uh, bottles, and I think it came in at about seventy odd percent, seventy seventy ABV or seventy yeah. percent um, alcohol. And that was the type of rum that was used in the Mai Tai when it was originally, originally. created. I think it was created in four, 1944. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the reason why they used such a heavy rum was to cut through. Because you had Orgeat and Curacao in there, yeah. you know, so it was to cut through the sweetness of that. Um, so we got a bottle, and I think back then this probably doesn't. It's still a lot relative to to what you would pay for an entry level cocktail now. But back then we were charging seven hundred and fifty pounds <laughs> per drink. <laughs> and, uh, that would have been what about a grand in dollars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I made a couple. of actually made one for. We made one for. Because we had these connoisseurs clubs where we yeah, flew yeah. people over. So that connoisseur club we had, Dale DeGroff, Audrey Saunders, Saisha, Petrasky, Mickey McElroy, uh, Sammy Ross, Tony Canigliaro from London. Yeah, so, and then, 69 Cobra Yeah, Bro. so we had a whole bunch of people in. Um, so that table, everybody had left and it was me, my old business partner, Sean, and those people at the table and we made it. Mm-hmm. And and we all got to try it, and it it was unbelievable. The Mai Tai was a cocktail that got me into this industry. Yeah. Um. My my email was Mai Tai Madness. <laughs> um. People in the industry back in Belfast called me Mai Tai McGarry because I went to the Merchant before I worked there and I tried their house level. Yeah. Mai Tai, and I was like, it was the first time I tasted a homemade uh, homemade syrup and homemade liqueur mm-hmm. in a drink and fresh squeezed uh, lime juice and and the beautiful ice. It was perfectly clear. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, God, you can you can do this at an at a you can do this at an okay level, or you can do this at an absolute world class level. And that's when I realized I wanted to do the world the world class level. You know, you know who's a big fan of your mai tai. This has come up on this show before, and he's also very bitter that he never got to taste that bottle or that mai tai. Who is it? Brian Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he makes amazing mai tais. Makes very yeah, good yeah, mai tai. But uh, yeah. It came up on that show. He was talking about that, and he's talking about that bottle. And he's, yeah. he's very disappointed that he never got yeah. to try. Well, that they're releasing. I think they're re-releasing. The re- I've heard they, they are? are. Yeah, so I've All heard. Right. I don't. I remember hearing about it, and uh, you know, but it, you're obviously tasting history there, you know. Um, yeah. So even if they they, because you can, I've tasted like brands. Mai Tai is unreal. I've I've tried a Mai Tai from. Giuseppe Gonzalez, it blew me away. I've tried a couple from different. Audrey's Mai Tai was exceptional. Yeah. I've tried, and obviously they they're recreating their version of the Ren Nephew seventeen year old and and 
getting to that same ABV. Um, but I mean, you were literally tasting history, you know, and that's one yeah. thing Salvatore Calabresi and in London, he he's all about that liquid history and making martinis pre World War and all that type of stuff, you know. So I, a lot of it, I think, is it's a bit naff, but you you are drinking you are drinking, drinking history, history yeah, yeah. so it's pretty cool. Very nice. All right, last question for today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Uh, what would I order or make for the last one? So my favorite cocktail, and this is completely off-brand, um, is the Turf Club. I love the Turf Club cocktail. So I love it in a 50-50 format. So mm-hmm. it's a dry vermouth London dry gin. I like a big, bold London dry, like a tankery that's very juniper-driven. Um, a, a, uh, a very dry vermouth. Uh, a hint of maraschino, absinthe, and orange bitters with a, a lemon twist. I loved like I, I, so. I'm obviously I haven't drank in I still taste, but I haven't drank mm-hmm. in seven years. But that was a that was my go to my go to drink. Yeah, yeah, go to cocktail. Go to uh, cocktail. Go to drink was obviously Guinness, but Guinness. Um, yeah, I love that. I just love the cleanness. It was bone. It was a bone dry martini. I love fifty mm-hmm. fifty martinis. So if somebody made me a like, I, I love that whole style of martini. I'm a big mm-hmm. martini fan. Not the dry ones, like a lot of the London cocktail hotel bars, their ones are just like drinking straight gin. I mean, jukes, literally. It's, I just don't get it. No. I don't get it. Um, I remember going in and it was, yes, it's cold, but it's yeah. you're drinking a shot of gin. Yeah. Um, which I did, I worked in Milk and Honey for a year and that was a house shot you had every couple of hours and it's a fine shot of gin, but it's certainly not a martini. It's not a cocktail. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know so, so I'm a, I, I'm a big... Nice. I know not you, a Mai Tai then. No, well, my t- yeah, I, I love uh, tropical drinks. You know, yeah. um, would be the one to go out on though. I don't think. No, because you can't drink. You can't drink. Not that. Listen, you're meant to obviously drink responsibly. You're not yeah, meant yeah. to drink a lot of martinis, but I I drank plenty in my time. Yeah. Um, whereas those types of uh, tropical sweet rum, you, you can only do so many of them before yeah. you're like, right, that's that's enough. And that's my problem with a lot of these cocktail bars. And uh, I think Europe definitely has an edge on us there because um, their cocktails are smaller they're more sessionable you know yeah. you can drink more of them we're over here i still think we're heavily influenced by the old-fashioned in the manhattan and big boozy, boozy bombs, you know yeah so we're that's one thing in the bar actually we're trying to get more you, you still obviously have to cater to the because there's still that's still the major constituency but i i want to introduce more sessionability mm-hmm. to to the to the drinks because even dead rabbit right now if you go and you have three cocktails i mean that's good night good night irene you know yeah that's so, it. <laughs> it's the same in any cocktail bar yeah, in the yeah, city, no, Joe. So, I would like it to should get be. To, I would like to get to a point where you could have three drinks and you're still lucid. You, know, you still know your phone number. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jack. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Had it's a been blast. a blast. Yeah. Sure has. Um, maybe I'll take a couple of weeks off before the booze, not the podcast, before <laughs> November 29th because I'm setting up camp down in the Dead Rabbit. For now, I'll get the Aquavit in the freezer for you. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, then. Cheers. Thank you very much. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on VinePair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers. 
Fine Pairs Tastings Director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vine Pair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, Art Director at Vine Pair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>